I've been given carte blanche today to speak on what's on my heart, which I love to do. And um, so I'm going to be speaking this morning a message entitled Crossing Over. Crossing Over, if you're taking notes, Crossing Over. And um, as I was just praying and asking God, you know, Lord, what is on your heart? What are you, what are you, what are you saying to us? I just began to have a sense of um, in our church, and even as a church, we're at a season where we cross over into a new space. And for many of us, I think we're in this place where we're either crossing over into a new season of life, we're crossing over maybe into a new job, maybe we're changing lanes in our lives in terms of career, maybe in terms of the church we're going to a new season, which we are, we're planting a church in Joburg. Um, maybe it's time to take, uh, God is taking you to another level in the spirit, maybe he's calling you to a new place, uh, maybe as a woman you're crossing over, you know as women we tend to on-ramp and off-ramp, when we have kids we go into another season, when they grow up a bit we go into another season. Life is full of seasons and I think for many of us we're at a space where we're crossing over, we're about to cross over into something new that God has for us and if you don't find yourself at that place, don't worry, the message will be applicable at a certain point in your life, amen, because all of us cross over into new seasons at a certain point. But for many of us, I think we're in a space where we're crossing over, where we're making decisions, where we're going into new land, where we're going into new territory, or where God is wanting to take us into a new space. And so this message is for you. It's entitled Crossing Over. So Father, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would come and fill my heart, mind, and mouth with your word for us, Lord. May you quicken to our hearts that which we need to hear and remember, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the, um, the portion of scripture that I'm taking my message from today is Exodus 13, from verse 17 to Exodus 14, verse 31. And that is where I'm going to draw a lot of my points, which I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So the first point this morning in terms of crossing over, crossing over, when we're crossing over into a new season, into a new space, is that it's important we understand that God is a God who leads. God is a God who leads. And as I go through these points, I'm going to be describing aspects of the nature of God and who He is and who he wants to be for us in a space where we're crossing over. So number one, God is a God who leads. The God who leads, Exodus 13, verse 17. If you, are, you, uh, if you have your Bible or you're using your phone, you can turn there. Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Okay, so the context of the scripture is that the Israelites, God's people, have been in captivity for 400 plus years. So for hundreds of years, they've been oppressed, they've been in bondage, they've been in slavery, and it's been getting progressively worse. And they've been crying out to God to deliver them for hundreds of years. So people have been born in captivity, they've grown up in captivity, and they've cried out for deliverance, 
and they've died in captivity. And so some people haven't seen the answer to God's prayer. But at this point, God is choosing to answer all those prayers that his people have been crying out to them for hundreds of years. And he's chosen to deliver them from captivity and he's taking them into their promised land. So that is where we find this scripture. God is delivering them and you know he raised up Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh. And Moses is leading them out of captivity into the promised land. But between where they are in captivity and the promised land, there's a whole lot of stuff that's in between. Amen. How many of you know that when, where, where we are and where God wants to take us, he, he, he might give you a prophetic word and say, this is where I'm taking you. That is your promised land. But there are a whole lot of other things in between that we've got to walk through. Amen. And how many of you know that God doesn't always give us the fine print? He doesn't always show us the fine print. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you this great business and you're going to have a lot of cash at your disposal and you're going to be very generous, but it's going to cost you this and this and this and you're going to be bankrupt five times and you're going to have no, no bread to eat, no, none of this, none of this, and it's going to happen 10 times and you're going to struggle to pay rent 25 times. And he doesn't tell you all those other things. He just says, you're going to be wealthy and this is where I'm taking you. How many of you know that? And then you've got to walk that process with him and learn to trust him because he's preparing you to fulfill what he spoke to you. So right here, what I'm sharing with you is the in-between stuff between what God said he was going to do, take them into the promised land, and when he eventually took them into the promised land. So, number one, God is a God who leads. Exodus 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. You see, when God leads us into our promised land, he inevitably doesn't take us the straight, short route because he knows the way that he has to take us. I mean, he didn't take them through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knows what he's doing when he leads us. God could have taken them the short route, but God knew, even though they didn't, God knew that if he took them the short route, they would face war and they would change their minds and return to captivity. That is something I love about God. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And we see in, in verse 18, it says, So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So God is saying, if they face war, they'll change their minds and return to Egypt. But in terms of the account, it says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Don't you find that fascinating? The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They thought they were ready for battle. You see, sometimes we think we're ready. Sometimes we really think we're ready, but God knows that if we face certain things now, we won't enter into the fullness of what he has for us. So we have to trust God to lead us the way that he knows best to lead us. Amen. Okay, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the direct route to Canaan was heavily guarded by Egyptians. And so that's why they would have faced war. They would have had to fight to get through that route to Canaan. So God doesn't take us on the most direct route. Okay? Um, despite their lack of readiness for war, God knew how to lead them in order to get them where he was taking them. He also knew how and when to prepare them so that they would be ready for war. You know, once... I remember once God said to me, if you just walk with me one step at a time, one day at a time, you'll be at the right place at the right time and on time. 
you just walk with me one step at a time, one day at a time, you'll be at the right place at the right time and on time. See, that's what we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God so much that we say, Lord, I'm not running ahead. I'm not lagging behind. I just want to walk in time with you, even if it seems like you're taking me a long route because I trust you. And I trust that you know what is inside of me. And I trust that you know the best way to get me to where I'm going so that when I get there, I'll stand in that place. Amen. God is a God who leads. That's his nature. That is who he is. And he wants us to trust him. Isaiah 48 verse 17 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you who directs you in the way you should go. See, saying to us, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. My question is, do we really believe that? Do we really trust that? You know, as a pastor, we see ladies who will get hooked up to dubious characters because inevitably in church you have lots of ladies who are single and you just have a few men, <laughs> okay? And then the ladies go and they look for men in all the wrong places and they get hooked up to dubious characters and they really think that they know best. They really think, no, it's fine. You know, um, I'll win him to the Lord. You know, sometimes he goes to Catholic Mass once a year. So I'm sure that, you know, he believes there's a God, you know. They think they know better. They don't trust that God knows what is best for them. And then when the, this lady gets married, and if it's you, you know, God redeems all situations. I'm just saying that if you're in a place where you can choose, please choose God's way. Otherwise, what happens is these ladies get married, and then they come to church, and their husbands don't come to church, and then guess what? We've got lots of counseling to do because there are lots of marriages that aren't working. Why? Because they didn't do what God was explaining for them to do from his word. Amen. See, God knows what is best for us, even if it's taking long. Okay, in business, even if it's taking long, we've got to trust that God knows what's best. We were at a 50th birthday party last night, and I was so amazed at some of the testimonies that were shared about the gentleman who had turned 50. He's a wealthy businessman, and he wasn't always like that. I mean, he started from nothing and then and built it gradually. But the integrity on his life, he refused to compromise. And so um, the gentleman who was giving the speech about um, this, 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 this businessman said he had a site in Soweto, which was a business site. Was it a, was it a, a, a station or a, a, a Shisanyama or one of those businesses? Anyway, he was waiting for it to be connected uh, by the city of Johannesburg, connected to power. And the city of Johannesburg people, they wanted a 20,000 rand bribe in order to connect it to uh, power. And he refused. He said, I'm a Christian and I will not compromise and pay a bribe. And the city of Johannesburg people did not connect for 12 months. And he was losing, obviously you lose, he's losing power, uh, losing money, I mean. So what, you know what he did? He invested how many million? 1.6 million to, uh, to put in solar panels. So the whole thing is now solar panels, but you know what? And he invested like 1.6 million so he wouldn't have to pay a 20,000 rand bribe. <laughs> How's that for principle? How's that for integrity? 
But you know what? And, and you know what? His business is up and running, and he is so successful. And, and that is, there were a couple of stories like that where people wanted a bribe, and he just refused. And he even had to pay. But in the long term, he says that why should he sacrifice a long-term blessing for immediate gains? He said that's foolishness. What is that? For me, that's a picture of this trusting God, that God knows what he's doing. And you know what the reality is? Is if there were more Christian business people like that, if there were more people who stood up and said, we will not pay a bribe, what would happen? Corruption would end up dying, wouldn't it? Corruption is alive and kicking, very much so because people pay bribes. Amen. Okay, so that really, that story really blessed me. But God knows the best way that we should go. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. See, God often leads us through the Bible and through principles in his word. And that's what this gentleman is living his business. It's by the word of God and what God says in his words. He didn't hear an audible voice saying to him, Thou shalt not bribe. You know, He's living his life by the revealed word of God and principles in the word of God. And that is one of the ways that God leads so common ways God leads, he leads through the Bible. So I want to encourage you, we need to get to know principles from the Bible because ignorance is not bliss. You can't say, oh, I didn't know and that's my excuse. No, you'll still have the consequences for your poor, poor decision. Amen. So we have to know what God says in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's no point me waiting on God, saying, Lord, I want to hear from you, I want to hear from you, I want to hear an audible voice, Lord God, can you give me direction? Should I pay this bribe or should I not? Because, Lord, you know, if I don't pay this 20,000 rand bribe, I'm going to lose an awful lot of money. Lord, I want to hear a voice. Is it okay? Just once. Lord, is it okay? I'm probably not going to hear anything. Why? Because it's already revealed in his word. And I use that example, but there are many examples like that where we're crying out to God, Lord, speak to me, Lord, lead me, and we're not hearing anything, and we hear that God, we think that God isn't leading us, but he's looking down and he's saying, you know what, if I give you this answer, you're never going to get into my word, and I've put my answers in my word, so get into my word. Get into my word. There are principles in his word that we have to dig out and find so that we can know the way that we should walk. He's revealed it in his word. Okay, so the first way God leads is through his word. The second way is through the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 13 to 14. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And this is another way that, that the Lord leads. And I'm only going to touch on three, and they're the three most common ways, I think, God leads us, but it's important we're aware of this. He leads through the Word. He leads through the Holy Spirit. And John 10 says, it says that my sheep hear my voice. So if we are children of God, we can hear His voice. We can hear His prompting. It's just that very often we are thinking that it will be an audible voice that we'll hear. But it's not necessarily an audible voice that we hear in our ears. It's sometimes something in our hearts, a prompting in my heart, okay? And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it doesn't necessarily seem spectacular. It can sometimes even be like, maybe that's my own thought, or is that me? Or is, did I, 
And there's that question, is this God, is this me? It, it can be the Holy Spirit speaking to us, okay? It's that sense in our heart, that sense of peace, and I'm going to talk about that just now. When we're thinking of doing something and we're wondering whether we should do it, and we have that strong sense of peace, that's the Holy Spirit leading us. That's the right way to go. It's God leading us. He's a God who leads. Um, and the difference between God's voice and the devil's voice in terms of this type of thing is God's voice stills us. It leads us, it reassures us, it enlightens us, it encourages us, it comforts us, it convicts us. That's what the voice of the Holy Spirit does. The voice of the enemy, it rushes, it pushes, it dominates, it confuses, it discourages, it worries, it condemns. There's a difference between those two and we need to be able to discern the difference between those two. Amen. And of course, the other voice that we also need to be able to discern in the mix is the voice of our own flesh. Okay. <laughs> so there's a voice of God, the voice of our own imagination and flesh, and the voice of the enemy, and we've got to be able to distinguish between those. But the Holy Spirit does speak to us, and he often uses peace to speak to us. He, uses, he draws us, he leads us gently, and that's his nature. Okay. And the third way that I'm wanting to just touch on in terms of God leading us, because I want us to be equipped in terms of moving into what God has for us, and I want you to be equipped in terms of God leading you, I want you to be led by God, is the inner witness. That's the inner witness, that inner peace in our conscience. Um, it's like a resonating inside of us when we're going the right way. And it's also that lack of peace or that uneasy feeling in our spirit when we're doing something or thinking of doing something that's not in God's will. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about stuff that is blatantly against the will of God. I'm talking about basic decisions in life where it's like this or this. Both are permissible according to Scripture, but I need to hear from you, Lord, which one, which way should I go? There's this job and there's this job. There's this choice and there's this choice. There's this place to live and this place. There's this church and there's this church. Which way? Where am I feeling that peace growing? And where is there an uneasy, uncomfortable feeling in my spirit? Colossians 3 verse 14 to 15 says, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God. So being led by God, we've got to be led according to the principles in His Word. We've got to be led by the Holy Spirit and that inner voice, that gentle sense in our heart. And we've also got to be led by our conscience and the inner witness, okay, being led by peace. Um, Romans 8 verse 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's that witnessing, that resonating inside of us. You know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? Hello? Okay. <laughs> okay. So God is a God who leads. He loves to lead us. And we have to be led. How many of you know, and, and women, we know in marriage, that it's one thing to have a leader, but you actually also have to allow yourself to be led. It's very difficult to lead someone who wants to go in the other direction. Okay? So we want to be a people who can be led by God. Amen. And I'm sure you are. So we saw from that first scripture in Exodus that God is the God who led his people, and he knew how to lead his people because he knew where they were at. The second thing that I'm wanting to draw our attention to is that God is a God who positions. God is a God who positions. Exodus 14 verse 1 to 3, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp 
near Pi-Hairoth, between Megdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Okay? Now, the Israelites also thought that. They also thought, okay, maybe we just, maybe we're wandering around in confusion and we're now hemmed in, hemmed in by the desert. But it didn't matter. God knew how he was positioning them. And that whole scripture, if you look at the geographical sort of outline, uh, uh, geographical positioning of all of those places, it's basically the, he brought the Israelites into a place where the Red Sea was here and around them they were surrounded by mountains. Okay, so they, if you can imagine, there are mountains all here, there's the Red Sea here, and they over here trapped in the middle, and the only way in is the way they've come in, which is the way the Egyptians are coming. So basically, they, they're trapped for all intents and purposes, aren't they? They're trapped. There's nowhere out. It's like the Egyptians, the sea, mountains, they can't go up. There's nowhere they can go. It's the Red Sea or the Egyptians. So according to the natural eye, there's nowhere out for them. Okay? And God loves to bring us into places, if we'll allow him to. He loves to put us in places where, to our natural eye, it seems like there's no way out. It's God or nothing. Amen. And often when we find ourselves in those places where it's God or nothing, God is actually positioning us. He's positioning us for the next thing that he has for us. He's positioning us for his breakthrough. He's positioning us because he knows in this place, you're going to have to trust me and you're not going to be able to make a plan on your own. You see, in this instance, God was positioning them because he was going to take them through the Red Sea and he was going to destroy the Egyptians. They just had on their mind escape. They wanted to get away from the Egyptians. That's, or that's their level of faith. But God was looking at it from a much bigger vantage point. He was like, okay, these guys are going to escape. They're going to go to the promised land and I'm going to destroy every single Egyptian soldier and the Pharaoh who was with them all, and I'm going to be glorified. So God's view and perspective is much bigger than ours, and he likes to position us. And when we positioned in those uh, situations very often, we can't see the way God sees. We can't see the victory. And very often in those places, we end up being confused and afraid. But God always gets the victory. Amen. God loves to position. God loves to position us. Do you remember the message that I preached on David when I said that at the point when it, the, the scriptures say that David strengthened himself in the Lord? Remember, he'd been chased around by his king. Then he'd gone to the enemy, the, 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 the enemy of his people, to their king, and had been rejected by them from fighting with them. Then he'd gone back to his home, Ziklag, found it completely destroyed with his wives and children captured. And then at that point, his own men turn on him. Can, can you imagine in that place, for David, that is not positioning for kingship. That is like the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, the bottom of the barrel. But that was God's place to springboard him to be a king. Because it was from there that he went. He got his wives back. Then the current king was killed, and David was made king over Judah. So if we look at natural situations, we can't always see what God is doing, but God loves to position us for promotion. Amen. Okay. Are you with me still? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Another example, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15 to 17. This is King Jehoshaphat. The enemies have come against, against King Jehoshaphat. In the natural, there's absolutely no way that he can get the victory. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of this vast army. Can you imagine? 
You're at the lowest of the low, the bottom of the bottom. There's so many enemies, you can't possibly uh, win and get the victory. And God says to you, don't worry, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged, okay? He says, the battle isn't yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, and then he tells them how to position themselves. He says, tomorrow, march down. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the gorge. You will not have to fight in this battle. Take up, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance. See, very often when God is positioning us, we have to take up our position, stand firm, and wait to see his deliverance. Amen. When we can't do it, when we can't break through to that next place, when we can't see how we can get through, we've got to take up our position, stand firm, and see what God will do for us. Daniel 2 verse 21 says, He changes times and seasons. See, this is what He's doing right now. Over many of us, He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raise up, raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, to the discerning. God knows how to position us to, and, and put us in the right place for the right time. And something that's really important, I remembered this this morning as I was thinking about it, is that faith is really key when, we, when, we, when God is positioning us. We have to keep ourselves in a position of faith and belief. I remember watching a soccer match and um, one of my kids was playing a forward and he was actually playing a central, a central striker. And I remember him running up, and I was just watching the situation, and the wing ran up with the ball, and I was like, get into position, get into position, but it's like his whole body language, he'd, he'd given up, he didn't, I could see, he didn't believe that the wing was actually going to cross to him so that he could score the goal, but there was hardly any defenders there, they could have they done it, but in his heart, he'd given up, and I, as I was watching it, the Lord just spoke to me and just said, and said to me, you see, when you don't have faith, you don't position yourselves aright, yourself aright to fulfill what God has for you. I just looked at him. I'm like, get yourself in position. But he didn't believe. We have to have faith because when we have faith, we end up also partnering with God and being in the right place at the right time so that we can score that goal. Amen. So God is a God who positions, he leads us and he positions us. And even when it seems like things are not going right, we have to trust the God who positions us, that he will give us the breakthrough. The third thing in terms of crossing over into new places, into new seasons, is God is a God who provides. God is a God who provides. And in Christian circles, when you say Jehovah Jireh, when you say, you know, God is my provider, God is a God who provides, what do we think of? We think of cash, hey? It's what we all think of. God is a God who provides. Okay, you provide cash for my bank account. Yes, God provides cash, but there are all sorts of other things that I need provision in my life. I need mentorship. I need people. We need people in the church. How many of you know that? We need volunteers, okay? We need skills. We need wisdom. We need people at the right time, at the right place. I remember being in an elevator once, and, and I didn't realize that in some of these hotels and so forth, you have to use your key card for your room to activate the elevator. So I went in and I pressed the button and it didn't move. Pressed the button, didn't move. And then a guy came and he showed, a, showed me how to, how to he said, no, you have to use this card. And he showed me that you tap your card on the thing and then the elevator works for you. It stops people going up who aren't staying in that hotel. But what is that? I was like, God provided. He provided someone to show me how to do that. 
And God is a God who provides. He provides things like that, and we have to be able to see it. God provides the right people at the right time to take us to the next level. Amen. God provides many different ways. And, and I love this. Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22. After leaving Sakoth, they camped at Etham. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What did God do? God provided an easy way for them to be led. That's what he was doing. And it changed. Day, he led one way. Night, he led the other. They couldn't like throw a hissy fit, throw their toys out the cot because they really liked the pillar of fire and they wanted it during the day. You know, which is sometimes what we like. We like, no, we get all upset because we like how it's been all along. We like God to do this and this and this. We like our pastors to do this and this and this, and it can't change. But God provides, and he knows what he wants to provide when he wants to provide it. Amen. God provided. Jeremiah 17, it's another scripture that I really, um, that I really love. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord, for he'll be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. See, our sight in terms of seeing God's provision and in terms of seeing the goodness of God and seeing what he's doing, it really depends on who we're trusting in. If I'm trusting in myself to make a plan, if I'm trusting in my own wisdom, in my own you know, strength, in my, me, what I can do, my plan, sometimes I'm not going to see the plan of God when it comes because that's what the scripture says. But it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Its leaf will always be green and drought in plenty because she trusts in the Lord her God. Amen. I want to be someone who sees the provision of God and sees the goodness of God. Another scripture that I, um, that I, that I, appreciate Genesis 22 verse 9 to 14. This is the story of Abraham, the first time Jehovah Jireh is mentioned that I see, um, the, the God who provides. And it's where, remember, God promised Abraham and Sarah their descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky. And he promised them, and then nothing happened for like, I don't know, around 25 years or so. How long have you been waiting for your promise? They waited 25 years. And then God gave them one child. Remember, he promised the descendants as, as bountiful as the stars in the sky, and then he gave them one son. And when this son came to a certain age, God said, right, I want you to take this son and offer him to me. You're going to give him to me as a sacrifice. Can you imagine that? You've waited 25 years. He's given you one. The promise was many. Now he says you must sacrifice that one thing, that one thing that embodies the whole promise of everything that God has given you. Has God ever done that to you? Has he asked you to give him the one thing? Because when he's asking us to give him that one precious thing that we've got, guess what? He's up to something. He's testing our hearts. Because if you continue reading that scripture, it says, when Abraham began to offer his son, the Lord said to him, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God because you haven't withheld him from me. And then Abraham looked and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. And he says, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. The Lord provided the sacrifice. He didn't have to sacrifice his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. 
See, God is a God who provides. He provides for his vision. He always provides for his vision. If God has put something in your heart, he will provide. It doesn't mean that he won't test your heart. Of course, he's going to test your heart. He might ask you for that very one thing that is so precious and dear to you. But when he's asking you for that very one thing which is so precious and dear to you, know that he's going to resurrect it somehow. That somehow he's taking you through a doorway and he's going to springboard you into his supernatural divine provision. Amen. He's always a God who provides. We can't backbite and say, I don't want you to provide me like this. I don't want you to provide me a pillar of fire by night. I want it during the day. I want this. No. God will provide and he'll provide in a way that is best, that he knows to provide. Amen. The fourth principle is that God is a God who understands. And I'm sure you, you thought of this in my first, um, my first point, that God is a God who understands. Exodus 13, verse 17, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, because God said if they face war, they'll change their minds and return to Egypt. So God understood how to lead his people. He's a God who understands us. He's a God who understands his church, but he's a God who understands me personally. He knows how I'm wired. He knows how he made me. He understands how to lead me. Amen. He understands how to provide for me. He understands what will destroy me and what won't destroy me. He understands what I can handle. Okay, he's a God who understands. Even Exodus 14, verse 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihayeroth between Migdol and the sea, that whole situation I described to you where they were trapped. He says, They're to encamp by the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in confusion and hemmed in by the desert. Then God says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God knows and understands what he's doing. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He has more understanding than you or I. So when he's leading us a certain way and it doesn't make sense to us, he still has more understanding and he still knows what he's doing. Amen. We've got to trust him that somehow through the way that he's leading us, we're going to get the victory and he's going to get the glory. And I love this scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm, and arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And I love to encourage new moms with this as well. You know, sometimes when you have a baby, when you have young children, it can be really tough. You know, you can't plan your day like a normal person can plan their day, okay? It just doesn't work. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you have small kids, it just doesn't work. Okay, in fact, when I had small kids, I stopped making plans. I'm not saying you have to do this. I stopped making lots of goals because I would end up depressed because I could never fulfill all these goals that I had for the day. So I stopped making them. But this scripture really encouraged me, and I love to use it to encourage moms. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. God is understanding. He is compassionate. When we are going through stuff in life, when we are going through various seasons, we've got small children or we're going through difficulties, he understands. He's gentle and compassionate. He's not like your angry boss. He's not like that angry authority figure that you once had. He's not like that, okay? God is a God who understands. And it's so much easier to follow him into a new place that's scary because new places are often scary when we understand that he understands. Amen. 
Isaiah 40 verse 28 to 31 says, Why do you complain and say, My way is hidden from the Lord? Some of you, this is your heart. My God does not see me. He does not know what I'm going through. I think he's forgotten about me. It's been so long. I've been in the same place. I've been crying out to him, and I'm still here. He just doesn't see me. Well, it says, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause disregarded by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither grows tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, eagles run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. God understands. If we're strong, then God doesn't need to renew our strength. Amen. If we acknowledge our weakness and that we need Him, He renews our strength. 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. God understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So God is a God who understands. He's a God who sees where we're at. He knows where we're at. He understands our frailties. Our way is not hidden from him. He knows exactly where we're at. Just like I said, David was in the wilderness. His father didn't think he was tending his father's sheep and goats. His father didn't even pull him out for the lineup for potential king. His father didn't even think it was possible that it could be him. But God found him there. God saw him there. God knew and understood what was inside David. It's the same with all of us. So God is a God who understands. Number five... God is a God who always has a strategy. How many of you know sometimes we get in a situation and we actually don't know what to do? We don't know the way out. We're stuck. We can't see the way out. Well, I've got good news for you. God is a God who always has a strategy. And inevitably, the strategy that he has will involve something that's in your hand. It involves something that you already have. Most of us, are always, we're always looking out there for something new, something else, a new qualification, a new this, something else that we can add to ourselves because we feel insecure, okay? But God often will say, what is in your hand? An example of this, Exodus 14, verse 13 to 16. The people are hemmed in. They're afraid. The Egyptians are there. The sea is there. The mountain's there. They've got nowhere to go. Moses says to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. God was saying to him, what is in your hand? Raise that and divide the sea. The miracle is often in some, with something in your hand. It's something that you have in your hand. I remember I said to Desire a number of months ago, Desire, the Lord is saying to you that he's given you breakthrough and it's in, use the rod that's in your hand, which is his voice. There's financial breakthrough in using that. For many of us, there's something that God has put in your hand. Maybe it's patience with kids. Maybe you should start uh, um, one of these daycare centers. May, what, there's something, there's some skill that you have. You can't come to me and say there's nothing. I have nothing in my hand. No, you have something. God has put something, something. There's a dream. There's a desire. There's a story. There's a, 
There's a talent, there's patience, there's a heart, there's a love for something or someone or a grouping of people. There's something that God has given you that you can do something with. Do something with it and the miracle, you'll see the miracle open up before you. Amen. There's provision in stepping out with what God has already put in you. You'll see the provision follow that. Amen. It's in your hand. Remember the miracle of the five loaves of, of bread and the two fish when Jesus fed the 5,000. The disciples come to Jesus. They're 5,000 men. So including women and children, they could easily have been 20,000 people. Okay. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, they're advising him what to do. Jesus, we can't feed all these people. They're hungry. They haven't eaten for a long time. Please send them. We're going to help you just with this problem that we see. We're going to give you a bit of advice. Can you send them on their way to the nearest towns and villages because they need something to eat? And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. <laughs> I'm sure they were like, no, we have nothing in our hands. But you know what? There was one boy, and he had five loaves, and he had two fish. And that's all Jesus needed. He just needs the littlest, littlest something. And the miracle was in his hands when he gave thanks and broke it. it he never stopped breaking it. With some of us, there's something in our hands and the miracle is just giving thanks and beginning and just starting and the miracle will be in the breaking of it. Amen. What is in your hand? The miracle will likely be in your hand. God is a God who always has a strategy. The biggest strategy of all, of course, is when God created Adam and Eve. We see in the book of Genesis. I'm not going to go there, but you can go Genesis 1 to 3. God creates man and says, you know, you can basically rule over all of this. You've got free reign. Just don't eat from that one tree. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got kids, and I would not put the one tree that they were not to eat from right in the middle of the garden where they played. I just, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I don't know how many of you moms would do that. I wouldn't do that. But God did that. He put the tree, which they weren't supposed to eat from, right in the middle of the garden which they were playing in, okay? Now, why did God do He did that because he knows that with love, there must be choice. In order for it to really be love and obedience, there has to be a choice to obey and not love. And God, he already knew. I'm going to put it there. How many of you moms know when you put something there, you can say what you're going to say, but you know what's going to happen at the end of the day, okay? Of course God knew what they were going to do. Of course he did. But he knew and he had a strategy for it. He's like, that's okay. I know what's going to happen. This is going to happen. They're going to eat of the fruit. They're going to sin. And there's going to be a wall, a barrier between me and my children, my people, but that's okay because I'm going to give the very thing that's nearest and dearest to me. See, God is not afraid of giving sacrificially. I'm going to give that thing that's nearest and dearest to me, and I'm going to give a piece of myself, and a piece of me is going to taste death so that they will have life. He had a strategy. Some of us think we've done something and it really must have, we really disillusioned with ourselves. God must be completely disillusioned with us. We've really gone beyond. There can absolutely be no hope for me. No. Okay? You, 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 you've, got a, um, you've got a complex. Okay? So what, what, what do you call it, my prayers? That complex? <laughs> anyway, you've got a complex. The very worst thing already happened and God already knew it was going to happen and he already made a strategy. So what makes you think that yours is even worse than the worst thing that happened in Genesis and God really didn't know what you were going to do and there's no plan for you? No, there's always a strategy, okay? There's always a strategy. No matter what we do, God always has a strategy um, and we can trust him for that. So as we're going into the next level, don't disqualify yourself because of something that's happened 
in the past. Your last bad decision doesn't have to define your tomorrow. Amen. Because God has a strategy. He always has a strategy. And number six, I wasn't sure what to call this. I've said the God, God is a God who always wins. He's basically a God who's victorious. At the end, he always comes out victorious. And often, it may look in the middle like it's not going to happen. Like right now, if you look at the church, okay, and you look at what it's supposed to look like, triumphant and pure, without spots and blemish, it doesn't, there's a big, how many of you know there's quite a big gap, okay, between where we're going and where we are? And it often looks like that in life. God is wanting, God's victory should look like this, but right now it looks like this. It's okay. God is victorious in the end. Amen. Exodus 14, verse 21 to 28, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The Israelites go through, then the Egyptians follow them, and the Lord sees, okay, the Egyptians are now following them. They're doing exactly what I wanted them to do because he positioned his people right, okay? The Israelites are probably afraid, thinking, these guys are following us, these guys are following us because they probably weren't trusting in God because that's what we all like, okay? These guys are following us. They're going to catch up. And God is like saying, great, I've got them right where I want them. He jams the wheels of their chariots. Their chariots don't work. And then the, then the Egyptians figure out, okay, I think God is doing something here because things are not going our way. Let's turn around and flee. So they start to do that. But as soon as all the Israelites are out the other side of the Red Sea, what does God do? He's, the wind stops blowing and the sea covers every single Egyptian. Every single Egyptian, Okay. And it says, the water flowed back, covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So what is that? God had the last word. He always has the last word. And something that really fascinates me about this story is, you know when the Israelites were in captivity and Pharaoh was wanting to destroy all the, the, the male children? What did he use to do that? He drowned them, hey. He drowned them in water. And I know I've said this before, but it just blows my mind. He drowned the young boys in water, and Moses was saved, and he floated on the water, and his, name's, his name means drawn out of water. But his parents sent him on water, and he was eventually adopted into Pharaoh's household, and Moses became the deliverer that basically led these guys out. But Pharaoh used water to destroy the Israelites, God used the waters of the Red Sea to destroy every last Egyptian that followed after his people. Isn't that amazing? God always has the last say. He's always victorious. We often judge a situation before its closure, but we must be so careful to do that. We must keep trusting in God, even if it seems like there's no way for me to cross over. There's no way for me to get from where I'm going to there. There's no way for me to get from here to having my own business, from here to planting my own church, from here to there. There's no, I can't see the way, and it's getting more and more difficult where I am. But you know what? God often makes it more and more difficult so that we don't stay where we are. That's why it becomes more difficult. He wants us to move, so he applies the pressure and then at the last point where we think, oh dear, all hell is broken loose, this, all the situation is really bad, at that point he's like, okay, you'll see my victory now and I'll get the glory. Amen. So God, can you, can you, you tell me all of the, the six points that I, that I shared with you this morning. God is a God who? He leads, yes. He provides, yeah. He 
He's a God of understanding. He's a God who has a strategy. He's a God who always wins. And what else? There's one more. He's a God who provides, yes. God who understands. God who positions, that's right. And he's a God who positions. So God is a God who leads. He's a God who positions. He's a God who provides, okay? He's a God who understands. He's a God who always has a strategy. And he's a God who is always victorious. And guess what? He's our God, and we walk with him. So because he is always victorious, we are always victorious. Amen. Just because I fall down once, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. A failure is if I never get up again. That's when I'm a failure. But if I fall down, I get back up, I keep going. At some point, even if I fall down again, I get back up, I keep going, I will be victorious. Amen. Close your eyes. Let me pray, please. Father, we thank you that you are all these things. And Lord, as many of us are in a season where we're going into transition or we're in the middle of transition or we're coming out of transition or we're thinking of something that we're moving into a different level, into a different zone, into a different place, as we find ourselves in this place individually and corporately, Lord God, we fix our eyes on you and Lord, we thank you that you're a God who leads, that you're a God who provides, Lord, for the vision that you put in our hearts in the first place. And Lord, you don't get disillusioned with us because you never were illusioned in the first place. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you position us, Lord God. And we ask for a grace to have faith and to see even when in the natural we can't see the way out. We can't see the way forward. We, it seems like we're trapped. It seems like it's not possible. We pray you would help us to see from your perspective in terms of your positioning of us, Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning that you're a God who understands. That you're a God who has a strategy, Lord God. And you're a God who's always victorious. And this morning.